Hey, this is Lee. I really hope you've been enjoying the Business of Marketing podcast. It's from marketers and for marketers, and my intention is to bring you value, experiences, and insights that you can use. Also, if your company would like to have their own podcast, I would love to help. The team at Content Monster specializes in B2B podcasts. So if we can help, contact me at contentmonster.com. That's contentmonster, M-O-N-S-T-A.com. Enjoy the podcast. You're listening to the Business of Marketing Podcast where we have conversations with some of the most influential and thought-provoking minds in marketing, sales, and business. And here's your host, A. Lee Judge. Welcome again to the Business of Marketing. I'm A. Lee Judge. Today we're talking about digital marketing, marketing leadership, and the connections needed between the two. Marketing leadership comes in many forms. It can be from traditional internal roles like marketing managers, directors, and CMOs. It can come from external consultants that got a business from a higher level view when needed, or it can come from combinations of the two, such as fractional CMOs. Like myself, many marketers come up through the ranks while gathering wide skill sets of both marketing operations and marketing experience. Today's guest is also one of these people, and as he serves to help businesses through uniquely innovative, data-driven, and digital-first approaches to marketing. So I'm happy to have joining us today an industry authority on digital marketing, Mr. Neil Schaefer. Hey, Neil. Hey, Lee. How's it going? Thanks for having me. Should I call you A. Lee or Lee? Just Lee is fine. All right. <laughs> when I see A. Lee, I, so, I, have, I have Aaron Judge and the Yankees in my fantasy baseball team, so it always comes to mind. It makes sense. Well, you know, I'll tell you, and I, and I always love when people ask about the A because the A, especially in this conversation, the A was totally an SEO ploy. Uh, my first name does start with an A, but there's also a Kansas City uh, uh, political writer whose okay. name is Lee Judge. And I said, well, I can't a SEO him. I can't out-SEO this guy. has been around for years. So I went back to like I did in radio where I would just use a variation of my name. So the A is there, and now I can actually own the first page of Google for A. Lee Judge. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you can appreciate that, right? <laughs> Indeed. So, Neil, later on, I want to definitely get into talking about um, becoming a fractional CMO and what that is. But first, I want to learn more about your background in social and digital marketing. So please share with us how your experience in social led to digital marketing and how that supports your approach to helping businesses today. Yeah, I, I think we almost have to start before social because I'm, I'm old enough to have had a career before the emergence of social media. Uh, and yeah. that career was in B2B and really more in sales and biz dev than marketing. Um, but I did it in Asia. Uh, I speak Japanese and Chinese. So I, I was doing business in a few different countries and had like a, you know, a regional VP country manager role where I had to manage all the business. And that's where I got experience in marketing. Uh, a lot of trade shows um, in those days, you know, the documents were still physical rather than digital. Websites were very, uh, you know, archaic, needless to say. But it was really when I came back to the United States uh, for being in transition for the first time here and landing my job, but also along the way, uh, starting to spend a lot of time on a platform called LinkedIn. And early enough on LinkedIn, I realized that, wow, if I had a certain keyword in my profile and I had more connections than anyone else, I would show up number one in the search results 
for that keyword. Uh, obviously, the LinkedIn search algorithm does not work that way anymore. But um, that sort of led me to becoming a very active user of LinkedIn. And with that, you know, sales mindset that I had, realized it could be a real powerful business tool, which led to a blog, which led to uh, my first book back in 2009, which led to speaking, which then led to companies just saying, Neil, we want your help. We don't know what we don't know. And that's what really started my journey. I think compared to a lot of other people, although my first two books I wrote were about LinkedIn, I didn't think it was realistic to impose LinkedIn on all of my customers, right? So there's a thing about marketers, you need to niche down, right? Like I'm the NFT guy or, you know, I'm the TikTok guy. Um, I always felt the needs of every customer is going to be different. And maybe LinkedIn wasn't their need, especially if they were consumer focused. So that's where I decided, you know, I really need to, I need to learn all these networks and uh, I need to be able to provide that as a service to all my clients. So, you know, I'd say from 2010 I wrote my third book on social media marketing strategy in 2013, Maximize Your Social. And it was really the writing of the age of influence. This came out right when COVID started about influencer marketing. That was a very solid, you know, decade of very, very social media marketing focused uh, strategy and consulting and speaking. And the influencer marketing to me was really to supplement the organic social media marketing as social media becomes pay to play for companies. But it was really after publishing that book. And getting a lot of companies that wanted to work with me, they wanted to work with me on their influencer marketing, but I realized they were missing a lot of these other pieces. Like they weren't doing SEO, or they didn't have a blog. They weren't doing email marketing. Um, even their organic social media presence wasn't that good. And all of a sudden, they wanted to accelerate and just start working with influencers. So for some companies, it might work. But for others, the consultant mindset said, you know what? There's probably better areas that we can invest in that will get you a greater ROI potentially. And that's what really gave me this fresh new look. You know, people have been talking about SEO and email marketing and and all this stuff for, for a while. I'm taking a very, very fresh approach to it because I haven't been jaded on it um, over the last decade. And I see its value in a new way. And this is combined with the fact that COVID really accelerated this whole digital transformation. So, so that's where I've really taken on all of digital. I, right now, if you were to ask me, you know, the elevator pitch, it's really, I call it disc marketing, a digital influencer, social media and content. And that pretty much sums up the entire sort of digital ecosphere of the different things you can be doing. But yeah, so I, I like to say, as, as you pointed out, I'm sort of a social media turned digital marketer. Um, but along the way, I've, I've learned a lot. And uh, I think, you know, from my perspective, you can work with an agency and get to work with a lot of clients. You can work uh, at the client side and get really deep experience I've been fortunate to really have a mix of, of sort of both, um, of being able to consult with a lot of different companies, a lot of different industries, and a lot of different projects, all based around this this whole DISC framework. So uh, yeah, it's it's been uh, it's been a great ride. And I mean, we only just got started and there's such a huge need for this, even today, um, that it just, I'm genuinely excited for the future for our profession. Can you give me the acronym again, the, the letters of DISC? I like that. Yeah, Digital Influencer Social Media Content. And it Digital really came about influence. where, you know, filling out a LinkedIn profile, that profile headline, well, influencer marketing, yeah, digital marketing, social media, is there an easy way to like get all these keywords in the one? And mm. that was the easiest way to do it. So that that is, I love that because it, it, as things evolve, it's harder and harder to explain what belongs to what, you know, and what's a portion of this versus that. Um, so I, I want to ask you this, that someone who stu studied social for years from a business standpoint, um, I'm sure you've seen a lot of evolution in both the view of the importance of social media as well as the technology stack behind it. So for the marketers listening, which do you think is most important to understand 
the why portion of social or the more technical and always changing how portion of it? Um, wow, that's a really awesome question that I've never been asked. <laughs> I think the most important thing to understand about social is just changing consumer trends of how we use social, who uses social, how we use it. You know, TikTok is just the latest emergence of a new social network that brands are always way behind on. Although people, it's like the number one downloaded app. I mean, there were more, there were like more time spent on TikTok than YouTube, I think was the report like last year for a certain uh, 90 day period. So you have these huge sites that have come out of nowhere. And yet, you know, brands are still asking, well, do we need to be on TikTok? Well, yeah, you do, because that's where the audience is. And marketing is all about being where your audience is. But TikTok is very unique in its culture. It's not just that it has a unique content format, which is a short form video. And it's not unique in that it has a lot of technology baked into the platform where you can bring in music and bring in lots of different, you know, visual effects, what have you. It has its own unique way of communicating. So to me, it's about you need to become a heavy user of these platforms to best understand them. It's like, it's funny, uh, working on a keyword strategy, SEO strategy for like TikTok marketing for my own blog. And I look up, you know, TikTok challenges come up and I have a daughter who's 17. And so I show her this post written by a competitor of like, you know, the top 20 TikTok challenges for 2022. And she goes, oh, daddy, this is all like at the beginning of COVID. No one does those dances anymore. Yeah. Um, and you don't know unless you really use the platform or you engage with people that use the platform. I remember going, I, I once spoke at Blue Cross Blue Shield of Florida many moons ago, and they actually had, it was a diversity, equity, and inclusion conference. And they actually had a millennial club that was considered their internal diversity because the management were at the top tier. They didn't understand what the end user was, was talking about. Whereas the millennials, this is before Gen Z, they were able to bridge that gap, right? And, and so I would say all colors, all ages, all the different ways in which we use the platforms, you got to understand that. So to me, that is more important than algorithms and, you know, paid platforms and, and all the technology. I think we need a more humanistic, holistic perspective of all of this. And if you use social media, you know, doing during uh, movements like Black Lives Matter, what have you, you understand sort of the 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 way that, you know, people call out brands, the way that people want brands to represent them in their lifestyle, right? And if you haven't been using social media for the last decade, you just completely missed the point on all of this. And, you know, TV now gets influenced by social media, right? TV yeah. advertising and everything else. So, um, yeah, at the heart of it, you got to become a user or you got to tap into a lot of different users and, and really understand it at a deep level to be really successful, I think. I want to dig into that because, you know, that kind of ties into I often have a, a rant about uh, analysts because analysts, their information is based on history. And from what I'm hearing, what you just said, if you're analyzing something like social or digital, by the time you analyze it, it's no longer valid. Like if you have a, a white paper on TikTok, by the time it's <laughs> reviewed and worked over and written and published, it's no longer a thing. So the, so the, as a, yeah, as, as, a, as a digital, well, disc, you know, marketing, an author, consultant, speaker, blogger. Um, yes, I face that same challenge. I think that there are evergreen concepts that are evergreen. Mm -hmm. Right. And in, in how people use it. And, you know, the time we used to spend watching TV, it, it went to YouTube and now it's just TikTok scrolling through the feed. Um, but there are other trends that change very quickly. Mm -hmm. I think TikTok is a great example of that. I mean, Instagram two years ago, yeah, you didn't really have reels. But right now, reels today was the report it only it, taking up only 20 percent of people's time. It's still 80 percent. They're looking at everything else. 
So yeah, um, if you look at an analyst report, you got to take it with a grain of salt, understanding that right now it might be a little bit different because things do change and trends can make things change very quickly. On the other hand, there are some platforms like Twitter, with the exception of maybe a lot of conversation on NFTs um, and crypto, which we didn't have a year or two ago. And I think it's one of the reasons Elon Musk wants to buy Twitter um, or LinkedIn. You know, th these are platforms that have changed less. So it's not all, you know, what you blog about yesterday is irrelevant. But there are some platforms with the trends, especially once consumer facing change a little bit quicker. And you need to, you know, understand those evergreen concepts, because if you do, you're able to look at the analyst report and go, OK, well, that was then. Is that relevant now? Mm -hmm. Well, that's probably relevant now, but maybe this isn't. Let's do a deeper dive. So it all comes to this critical thinking. Yeah. And, and that's what I love about marketing. And I think the, the greatest marketers have that ability to do critical thinking, not just look at numbers, but be able to piece together trends and numbers and these evergreen concepts, whether they learn them in, in B school or they learn them on the job like I did. Yeah. So a couple of the items out of your, I like your DISC acronym. Um, so social and digital. Um, there was a time when those could be interchangeable when talking about marketing. Um, but now, you know, while social is a part of digital, um, they're not the same. So when you talk, at the, talk to these organizations and you examine what they're doing with digital, do you think some organizations still struggle to separate social from digital? Yeah, I, I think the way to look at it, and I'm actually working on my next book, which is going to be called Digital First, right? And mm -hmm. really, how do people consume content digitally? There's three primary ways. Social is huge, without a doubt, right? But then you have search. And this is where a lot of traditional activities are. But within search, you have things like YouTube, you know, video search. You have things like podcasts, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And then you have email in the middle. And a lot of companies have this very siloed approach and then they miss the whole picture. And that's, I think, what explains for sometimes the gaps. Um, but yeah, social is, you know, it, it is a subset of digital. It's an important subset and it has an important role to play. And I would say that influencer marketing is, is all part of that social, although it can help you with your search and potentially your email as well. But I think it's really understanding these three pillars and how each of them help you at different ways in different parts of the funnel and getting teams to work together, even having performance marketing, you know, doing the paid Facebook ads, whereas you have a PR team doing the organic Facebook, there's a lot that can be gained when they work together, right, as we know. But like I said, it's the silos. SEO might be a completely different silo. Well, shouldn't, you know, SEO be part of your content marketing, your blogging, your YouTube? Um, it should all be working together. And um, that's, I think, a challenge that a lot of companies have which dilutes sort of the value of each one of these and it confuses them as to what is, you know, what is social, what's not. Let me ask you this, because I'm sure you must find this situation. I have maybe a client, a client who approaches me who wants to solve, they, they come with a, a general term of, I need to understand digital marketing for my company. And so I begin asking them about, okay, what do you have in place in terms of these individual pieces? Do you have social? Do you have marketing automation? Do you have your website? Is the SEO done correctly? And they may get overwhelmed not realizing that there's lots of parts and that each part works better if they have the other parts to work with it. In other words, your website works better if you have SEO. Your SEO works better if you have, you know, an email list or you have inbound links from things and all those things going together, social, all those things. When you think about all those individual pieces, um, is there anything that's more important or that you see more 
missing when companies are trying to understand digital? I think the big missing piece is, is the measurement. And I, mm. I do the exact same thing that you do when working with new clients. Let's, let's put it all together. It's putting it all together and saying, wow, did you realize that you got more revenue? This is actual case study of one of my clients. They got more revenue from their email marketing and marketing automation than they did with a six-figure Google ad budget last year. And this is of a list wow. of in the thousands, not even the tens or hundreds of thousands. So that's the type of didn't know thing it. that most companies miss out on because they're not putting everything together and they're not comparing it. Um, you know, it's interesting. I've, I've had a conversation recently. I've been, I've been reaching out to a number of university professors of marketing um, as I work on my next book, try to get feedback on what's missing. And one of the professors has a, has a class just on customer lifetime value. And he's doing the same sort of analysis I'm doing, which is, you know, what is the value of a customer? How much does it cost to acquire one? What's their lifetime value once you acquire them? And now let's look at it on a channel-by-channel -channel basis of all these channels that, that we talk about here. And very, very few companies have, are doing it that way or, or even have the thought to do that, right? Um, and, and that, I think, is, is what I see as the big issue where I think everybody needs to get to. The initial point that you made, which is your end customers here, we have all these different intersections here of like, you know, web, marketing automation, what have you you know, how and where are we intersecting and how do we optimize those? But then at the end of the day, we were talking about like audio mixing. So I have a, I have a background as a drummer. I've, I've recorded CDs and, and you know, when I lived in Japan and stuff. And it's like a big mixing board, right? I, I consider all these like little levers. And once we know what is going to get us the best sound, the best ROI, we want to amp that up, right? And maybe lower the other ones a little bit until we get them figured out better. And I, very few companies get to that point because they just, you know, they don't have the expertise in house. They don't have that mindset to measure that way. And that's where the data driven part comes in. So there's a, there's a, a science and an art, right? The art is the holistic humanistic humanistic side. The the data is has to drive everything you do. Because the worst thing is you have a marketing director who personally loves a certain platform, so they just drive the strategy there. Well, I've, mm. I don't use LinkedIn. LinkedIn's boring. Why would we want to be on LinkedIn? Well, if you're a B2B, you want to be on LinkedIn. So I find in marketing, there's a lot of personal experiences drive a lot of business decisions, and we have to take the emotion out of it. We have to follow the data. Like, it feels good to spend on Google Ads, but that boring old email is paying the bills right now. I'd say we should do more to build our list, right? So those are the things mm -hmm. that you need to be 100% data-driven and you need to take your emotions out of it and, um, you know, and have the Ailey's and Neil Schaefer's in your house to, to provide you that guidance. So speaking of in-house and, and having that knowledge within your company, um, let's talk a bit more about, you know, your, your, I guess, I don't know, you tell me if it's new, your new role as being fractional CMO. Um, and what kind of situations might an organization be when they look for a fractional CMO as opposed to having someone in-house? Great question. So when I started out, I mentioned this is not an industry that I search for. Um, I didn't go and say, I'm an, I'm an NFT advisor, hire me for NFT consulting. Um, it's an industry that truly found me. Like, hey, we need help with our social media, right? And I mentioned my background was B2B. I don't have an agency background. So my thought was, I don't want to do it for you. I want to provide you education and, and help with your strategy. And that's really been the focus of my work until now. Um, it was really a little bit before COVID started where one of my clients said, and I used to have a package called Social Media Marketing Strategy Creation, where let me help you just create a strategy. And it was a, it was a package that sold really well in the early days, 2010, 11, 12, when companies were trying to figure this out. And I put all that into my book, Maximize Your Social, to allow companies to do that on their own. 
But really, it was 2018-19, where one company in particular, they happened to be located locally. They had a CEO, and they had a very junior marketing person. <clears throat> and they had someone that was on staff from Japan, uh, a middle manager who, who got to know me. And, and he said, Neil, we, we want to hire you not for some like social media strategy creation. We actually want you to be in-house and work together with us in our office. Help us create the strategy and help us implement it and help us train all the other marketers and educate everybody else about what we're doing in digital marketing internally. And that's what really started this. So, okay, well, I'm a consultant, but it's not like some black box project. It's a project that's always changing because it's if I was an employee. And it th therefore, it's based on hours. You know, I only have 40 hours in a week and I need to have my own hours for my speaking and teaching, what have you. So I'm going to set aside a pool of hours. And I'm going to sell that as fractional CMO consulting because I am serving as the marketing leader, reporting to the CEO. And I, I had that business model. It really didn't take off until COVID because then with COVID, everybody goes virtual. Everybody, got, everybody goes hybrid. I don't need to be in the office to do the work. And I, in fact, I couldn't be you know, physically that they wouldn't allow me to be in the office. So that's where that started. So now when companies reach out to me, it is a very, very convenient and a powerful funnel saying, I'm not an agency, I'm a consultant, but I want to work with you as if I'm an employee. And that's how you're going to get the best you know, ROI of, uh, of working together with me. So yes, I think that's where the fractional CMO comes in. It's, it's short term. It can be you know, three months, six months, 12 months. I've had some companies that have hired me for a few years, but it's really plugging in that expertise where you need it, when you need it, and it's building assets. A lot of consultants, they do something, they finish a project, they send you a PDF, it's done. This is actually, every time you work together, it's an educational experience, it's a training experience, and, and we're building strategy together. So you're you're basically you know building up, it's an investment in asset when, when I get to work together with companies. So I find when I was writing Maximize Your Social, a lot of companies were just outsourcing social media agencies, but they were even outsourcing the strategy. I said, mm -hmm. that's a conflict of interest because the agencies are going to write up a strategy saying you need to do more and more and more. You need to own the strategy, right? And that's where, and if you don't have the strategy, you need to build that in-house. Now, agencies can still be leveraged. I mean, I get it, right? You don't have the resources. There's some agencies that have amazing creative minds um, that can really, really help you implement on a campaign by campaign basis or what have you. But it needs to start with the strategy and the education. You need to manage the agency. If the agency, if the agency is managing you, you have a problem. So <laughs> along that, that line of the agency managing you versus you managing the agency, from my experience, a lot of that comes from whether the CMO knows enough about the technical part behind what they hired the agency for or the strategy part, what they hired the agency for. Um, and so the best CMOs, this is in my opinion, have a strong technical background that's paired with leadership skills and, and experience. Um, so which do you see companies lacking the most in their CMOs? Is it understanding of how to lead a marketing organiza organization or is it understanding the technical aspects that are critical to today's like digital landscape? Yeah, and, and we talked about this a little bit beforehand, but definitely I'd say, you know, the CMO has the leadership skills. They know how to navigate uh, internal organizations. They know how to, you know, ask and, and get budgets uh, and what have you. But yeah, it is, I guess, you know, what you call technology and I call technology might be slightly different, but yes, it is the technical aspects. It's the actual using, it's the actual data-driven, it's the actual understanding how they all work to generate 
sales, <laughs> for lack of a better word. Right. I would say, yeah, it's really the hands-on experience that's lacking. And yeah, I mean, if you're an executive in your 50s and you know social media came around in your 40s, you, you might have already been at a position high enough where you didn't have to do it. Or you didn't, you know, it, it, or it wasn't required of you. You didn't need to do it. And you always had people do it for you. But I think at some point you sort of got, got to get your hands dirty. And I think that will definitely exponentially raise the value of any CMO that's listening to this podcast. Even if it's, you know, asking your kids, you know, when you're on TikTok, what do you look at? You know, on Instagram, what images do you engage with? It could even be at that level, but that's a great starting point to understand well, how does wait? You're not following someone yet. You're seeing their content in their feed. How does that work? You know, little things like that can be extremely eye-opening. I think we were talking earlier before we began recording about how we may be—I didn't use this term earlier—but we could be somewhat of a unicorn generation of marketers because we are amongst people who are old enough to have seen a lot and have experience in marketing from before digital to now. So we can we can look at it from a high level and manage and, and advise. But we also came in at a time where we understood or we chose to dig into digital and stay current, which I think a lot of companies find have a problem finding both of those people. They have seniors who are, who've already been there, who've been on a management path for 20 years, who didn't know digital and they're, they're a bit lost now. Then you have those who are on the digital path, but they don't have much experience. They just started 10, 12 years ago. So that, does that what you see in terms of us having maybe an advantage there? A, a free plug for us, for our generation, I guess. <laughs> yeah, so I'm a, I don't know, but I'm a Gen Xer, right? And I always say we are the hidden, we're the hidden sort of jigsaw piece that connects the two. Yeah. We're not digital natives. So we remember life before the internet, life before social media, and therefore we can understand its impact and its value in a way that people, when they're born with it, and my son, you know, is on his phone saying, daddy, he's outside saying, daddy, the Wi-Fi is not working. I'm like, dude, that's not the Wi-Fi. That's the cell signal, right? Um, <laughs> they don't know. They think about it very differently. We're at, and, and the baby boomers, they just don't understand the whole social media aspect at all. Um, it, it, it came about when they were at an age where they didn't really use it. You know, my, my, my mom, may she rest in peace, she never, she never even used an iPad. She never used the internet, right? We had a landline phone and she watched TV. Uh, part of a great generation. So, so yeah, I, I do think that we have a unique role and those that have been doing it over the last, you know, I'd say 10, 15 years. So we've seen things like Dig, MySpace, StumbleUpon, Google+. Once you have that, it's almost like a financial advisor that's lived through a few recessions. They have that expertise and experience to say, okay, we've seen this before. This is probably how it's going to shape up, shape out, you know, you have historical perspective. That's the word. Yeah, I think right? if I were to put a historical it, perspective is so key in all this. It, it is. It is key. And if, if I were to put an ad out right now for a CMO, I think based on what you said, I, I, it would have to say, I want to find a Gen Xer who won't give up learning technology, you know, who won't give up learning digital. And that's that. those two things together will, will bring you a unicorn, perhaps. Yeah, it's yeah. not. Um, maybe in the old days, you got that position and everything's stable and you, you get your budget and you get your, your TV ads, your radio spend and, and life is hunky dory. But yeah, I mean, digital just it's it's always evolving and it requires a different mindset, different personality. I thrive on change. I mean, I love it. I, I you know, I don't want to know the clients that I'm going to have 12 months from now. I, I enjoy um, not knowing about my future. No, you know, it, it excites me. Uh, and, and, it, you know, and with every change, I get excited, right? Elon Musk and Twitter, what's going to happen? I don't know, but I, I, you know, bring it on. Um, 
but not everybody is wired the way that that me or perhaps you are. And uh, I, and you know maybe an executive could say, well, you're more of a practitioner. Well, you know maybe executives need to be more of practitioners. And I think we see with like employee advocacy efforts, hey, if you really want your employees to get on social, it really needs to start with the top. You are the biggest influence of your company. And maybe that's a great way to, you know, solve this, right? Any uh, CMO or, or executive, you know, I'm sure if you reached out to your internal communications team or your PR team, they'd love to help you get on social. Um, so, you know, if there's one action plan from this podcast interview that you hear, maybe that's it. Yeah. Well, I love your, your passion and your excitement because you're, even your face lit up when you're talking about learning more and staying involved and learning the next thing. And I know that comes out in, in your speaking engagements. So I want to ask you, I know you do a lot of keynote speaking around the world. And for me, I get some of the best questions from people when they approach me just after I walk off stage. So of all the stages you've walked off of, can you share with us maybe some interesting moments or regular questions that you've received after giving a keynote? Well, the questions change over time, as you can imagine. So I, you know, the question I used to get asked was, well, how do I create, you know, a strategy out of all the social media? And therefore I wrote the book, Maximize Your Social. Uh, then I was always getting questions about the ROI. How do you measure it as well as the technology? So I actually launched a event called the Social Tools Summit, now defunct, but back in 2014, 2015, uh, that was sort of my, 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 my product, my solution to the world. And the age of influence about influencer marketing came about because I noticed for the first time, I wasn't getting questions about the technology or the ROI. I was getting questions about influencer marketing and not just how to leverage influencers, but a lot of marketers in the room were like, well, how do I get in on this? How do I become more influential? And that's when I said, okay, there's probably more to this than, than we know. And that got me started on this whole journey of uh, writing the age of influence. Um, I'd say the other question that I get now and then, which is always interesting is, is this appropriate for my company? Right. And I'll never forget one power utility. This is many moons ago was saying, um, why would we want to use social media? We already have a monopoly they're, they're, you know, mm. and just six months after that presentation, that electric utility had some major customer issues. They had some fires, they had some incidents and they had to use social media when it was already too late. They hadn't built any goodwill with their community. And uh, yeah, it became just a, a one big fire that they had to fight. So I do think everything we talk about is relevant for influencers. Absolutely. Uh, you know, when Rudy Giuliani was running for president, he used an influencer marketing platform called Tribe. I think he used it very unsuccessfully to try to get people to share the message that he was running for president. It was a very bad campaign. I mean, he ended up losing, but, um, but you know, it, whether, whether it's, it's government, it's nonprofit, you know, B2B, B2C, everything we talk, whether it's email or SEO or social, it's all relevant everywhere. And that's always the way that I answer it. It might be used a little bit differently depending on your audience. If it's an older audience, okay, senior living facilities, well, who makes the decision to put their parents in there? It's a younger generation who are on social media. So it, it's all these different things that you need to have this, you know, some historical perspective and some holistic perspective. But yeah, those are the those are the questions I'd say after that it's a lot of real individual, you know, my company does this, is this appropriate? But um but those are the questions I seem to get asked over the last decade of speaking. I I, I seem to get asked a lot. I love how you mentioned that because with, with each question that came to your mind, it triggered some content you created. Because I know some of the best content comes from the questions from the people you talk to. Absolutely. 
So speaking of that content, as we wrap up, I want to thank you tremendously for, for sharing your time and your insights with us today. But before we go, tell us about some of your, your where we can find you, your blogs, your books, and even where we, where we might see you speaking. Sure. Well, uh, my name is Neil Schaefer. I'm the real Neil, N-E-A-L. And there's a number of Schaefer's out there in, in social. So my last name is spelled S-C-H-A-F-F-E-R. Uh, I'm everywhere in social with that handle. Uh, my website is also neilschafer.com. I also have a podcast called Your Digital Marketing Coach with Neil Schaefer. Uh, my books are available on Amazon, Neil Schaefer. I have a number of uh, free eBooks or previews of my books. If you go to neilschafer.com slash freebies, you'll find them there. And uh, yeah, I mean, if anyone has any any thoughts or any questions um, outside of giving this podcast a five-star review and, and putting that in the comment, um, I'd love to hear from you as well. All right. Awesome, Neil. Thanks again. Uh, we really appreciate you being with us today. And thanks for the listeners. If you're listening to the podcast and want to see Neil and I, a video of the podcast and others are also available in the podcast section of contentmaster.com. Again, Neil, thanks for joining us. Thank you, my friend. Thank you for listening to the Business of Marketing Podcast, a show brought to you by ContentMonster.com, the producer of B2B digital marketing content. Show notes can be found on ContentMonster.com as well as aleejudge.com. To continue the conversation, be sure to follow the podcast on your favorite podcast platform.